Good morning. Are y'all doing okay this morning? That was a little weak. You sound a little tired. Is everybody doing okay this morning? <laughs> you know, it's so funny. We'll, we'll like post reminders like, hey, don't forget, set your clock forward or back. Your phone does it for you, okay? <laughs> like, I was just laughing. I wanted to post, your phone's got it taken care of. Just wake up, okay? Unless you got an old school alarm clock. Anybody still use an old school alarm clock in here? Yeah, my people. I don't use one, but I probably should. Hey, this series that we are in has been so refreshing. It's Who is Jesus? And today we are kicking off part three, and I'm excited about that. Uh, uh, In week one, just in case you missed, we talked about Jesus. He is our good shepherd. And uh, we discussed Psalm 23 and uh, that he leads us beside still and quiet water, and he makes us lie down in green pastures and Um, his rod and his staff, they comfort us. We learned a lot about a good shepherd. In week two, we learned that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through who? Jesus. You passed the test. Y'all are doing great this morning. In week three, I I was going to go a different direction with this message, but I felt uh, like this was what we were supposed to do today. Today, we are going to talk about Jesus our example. If you're taking notes, that's the title of today's message. Jesus is our example. And I'm going to read a lot of different passages today, but I want to give you a few examples of Jesus being our example. In Matthew 16, verse 24, it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Did y'all know that's completely countercultural to the world we live in? to deny yourself. It is completely countercultural. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, do as I do. He is our example. Matthew 20, 28, it says, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but he came to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. He's our example. John 13, verse 13, it says, you call me teacher and Lord. And yes, you are right for so am I. So I am, if I then, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, then you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should follow, that you should follow. I want to tell you today that it's really easy in the world that we live in to follow another example. Would you all agree? It's really easy to follow another example, but what he's saying is that I, I want you to walk like me. I want you to talk like me. I want you to serve like me. I want you to love like me. This is what Jesus is saying. I want to be your example. I, I want you to show grace like Jesus, but y'all don't miss this. Also be willing to speak the truth when it's really difficult to, like Jesus did. Jesus wants to be our example. Turn to the person next to you and say, who is your example? Okay. Ask the other person, say, is Jesus your example? Okay. If you just asked a stranger that, they're probably looking at you a little weird. Matthew 3, verse 16 is where we're going to really dig in and we're going to go through chapter 4. It says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. I'm laughing because Mark, which we read earlier, just a fun fact, Mark was a man of very few words, okay? So when you read Mark's gospel account, he writes a little bit differently than Matthew. Matthew was a man of many words. Do y'all know anybody who has many words? Y'all are probably thinking, you do, Seth, okay? 
Stop judging. Um, Matthew took a long time to say what Mark says in a really short time. Matthew took about four or five chapters to share what Mark shared in one. Matthew took about 100 verses to say what Mark took about five verses to say, okay? But we're going to read from Matthew's account because there's some really cool stuff in here. It says, a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love and I am well pleased with. We know that Jesus is the son of God, and we also know that we are children of God. Okay, this is basic understanding. First John 3 tells us how great is the love that the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. So Jesus is the Son of God. We are children of God so that we are viewed in somewhat of the same way that his, the Heavenly Father views His Son. He views you in a very like mind. And I want to tell you what he says in this passage. The father is saying, number one, I want you to write this down. You are my child. You are my child. This is acceptance. Everybody wants to be accepted. He's saying you're my son and you're my daughter and I claim you today. I want to make note of this. That from the very beginning early on, the enemy wants to distort the way that you view godly men in your life or just men in general. Maybe it's your father or a stepfather, or an uncle or a grandfather or a coach or a teacher or maybe a pastor or a leader of some sort. The enemy knows that if he can distort the picture or the image of an earthly father, then he may be able to destroy the way we view our heavenly father. This is one of the oldest tricks in the book that the enemy has used, but he says that you are my child and I accept you. Number two, write this down. I love you. I love you. And this is what the, the father is saying to the son. He's saying that this is affection. This is affectionate. He gave Jesus affection and love before Jesus did anything. Everybody look at me real quick. I love that he tells Jesus this before Jesus went out and did any miracles, before he went and healed and raised the dead, did all this stuff. Because some of us get so caught up with trying to impress God, all God is wanting us to do is embrace him. And so maybe take a break today from trying to impress him, because by the way, that's really hard to impress him. And let's just embrace the truth about what he wants us to see today. Maybe you are in this place and you're a lot like me, and maybe you didn't receive a lot of real affection. As a child, something that I struggled with was real affection. I wanted to find my affection in everything but what I needed to find it. Anybody else do this? Like, I would search everywhere, toxic relationships, addictions, and, and, and where I ended up landing was a very broken place. There's a country song about this. I found love in all the wrong places, okay? Like, this is what happens is we, we long for affection. It's how God created us, but we look in the wrong place. Number three, this is what he says. He says, I love you. You are my child. And number three, I'm proud of you. This is affirmation. This is the way that God is affirming you. He's saying, hey, you're doing a good job. Now, some of you are like, wait, wait a second, Seth. I'm not doing a good job. <laughs> If you only knew what was going on in my life, I want to make a note that God may be not, may, he may not be proud of what you are currently doing, but he is proud of what he created you to do. 
He may not be proud of what you are currently mixed up in, but he knows what he created you to do. And just so you know, there is a plan for your life. You get to choose whether you step into that or not. And I believe that God's wanting people to step into that today. Now, fun fact, at the Tom Boley household this, last, this past week, we've been doing some baseball practice. I got any baseball people in here? Some ba- yeah, come on. Uh, we've been having baseball practice. It does not look like baseball practice, though. Okay, my son, uh, he'll be three uh, soon, and we've been having so much fun. The first time I ever pulled a baseball tee out, I put it out in the front yard. I got the bucket of baseball sitting next to it. And, um, and I had his bat. I was really nervous to give him his bat. If you know my son, you'll know why. Um, and so I'm trying to explain to him, this is a baseball tee. You put a ball on it, and we hit it, okay? And he looks at me. He drops his bat. He runs into the garage, and he grabs his sidewalk chalk. And he comes back out with a yellow and blue piece of chalk and colors the entire tee. And I'm like, maybe he's Picasso or something. I don't, I don't know. He's going to be an artist. And so he, he has the, he's having the time of his life. This week, I, I got the same tee and the balls and, and, and the bat out, and I made some fake bases. We don't have bases. We use paper plates, okay? And, uh, and, and we're having so much fun. He doesn't have a clue what he's doing, by the way. He's holding the bat the wrong way. He's got his hands flipped upside down. He's throwing his glove instead of the baseball. Like he is clinging to this baseball, and he just keeps chunking this glove. And I'm like, God, please help us, okay? Send an angel right now. And he actually started dropping the baseball and kicking it like a soccer ball. And we didn't, we didn't play soccer in our family, so if you know some, some, just send some help, okay, if you got some help. And I'm laughing because he doesn't know how to do any of it. The other day, he has been so excited about baseball practice that we couldn't find him in our house, which is really bad on us, okay? We're running around looking at kids. We're like, Seth, I can't find Zane anywhere. We run out. We go outside. He had uh, opened the door. In the ba- Thankfully, we have backyard. And he was back there just holding his baseball bat ready to play, okay? He has no clue how to play baseball. But he's having the time of his life. Why is he having the time of his life? Because his father is with him. Because, don't miss this, because his father is proud of him, regardless of what he does. His father loves him. His father loves him. I'm speaking in third person. I'm his dad, by the way. Okay, just so everybody's clear. He, he knows that he's spending time with his father. There's affection and there's approval and there's affirmation, but none of that rests in his ability. He's just my son. And before we dive into the next part of this message today, you have to understand that you're a child of God, that God loves you, and he's proud of what he created you to do. And so we're going to read about temptation here in a second. In last service, I'm just going to be honest with you all, it was, it was kind of heavy in the room. Everybody was just, you know, these are one of those messages where people aren't like, amen, brother. Okay, like it, it's, it's one of those self-evaluations because I believe the world that we're living in today, that temptation and sin is running rampant. I believe that we need to hear the word of God when I was, um, I, before I was a youth pastor, Um, about eight or nine years ago, I would go around and I would speak in schools. This is when God started developing my love and broke my heart for for student ministry. And I would go to these auditoriums. Did anybody go to D.A.R.E. growing up? Do you know what I'm talking about? D.A.R.E., where they would come in and talk about all this stuff. And so um, 
anyways, my job was to go into schools and talk about everything that students shouldn't be doing, but I was not allowed to read the Word of God because I'm in public school. So I would share my testimony. I literally was just sharing my own personal experiences with these kids, and it was awesome. And God would always show up, but every time there would be kids that would come up front after the, the thing in between classes, and they would have tears in their eyes because they would say something along the lines of, I've, I've never had someone say that I'm proud of I've never had someone tell me that they really love me. And I just want to make a note for you real quick, you guys. You have no idea what someone else has walked through. So be very slow and very careful before we start looking into other people's lives and evaluating and comparing their sin or their brokenness to yours. And what I learned is that some of these kids, they have walked through some of the hardest things that I've seen. And my responsibility was just to say, I love you. I'm proud of you. And you don't have to do nothing. I I'm proud of you. And I just want you to get that inside of you today before we start talking about the way that Jesus responds to temptation. Because if those words are true about Jesus being the son of God, us as children of God, they're true for us as well. And so just to set this whole thing up, J Jesus has a powerful moment with his father. He, he's, he's, he gets baptized. He sets the tone for going public with our faith. And then right after his baptism, this is what happens in, in Mark 1. In verse 9, it says, In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and he was baptized by John in the Jordan, and immediately, everybody say immediately, and immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice from heaven came and said, you're my beloved son, and in you I am well pleased. Now, verse 12 says, and immediately, again, that he was led and the spirit brought him into the wilderness. Verse 13 says, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with wild animals, and the angels were serving him. Immediately, immediately, y'all, there was no pause. There was no commercial break. There was no intermission. There was no Super Bowl halftime show and commercials. Okay, there was, it was immediately, he went from a powerful moment with the father to temptation. And I read that, and I was like, that's just like the life of a believer. Would y'all agree? I don't know about you, but I can speak from my own experiences. I will have very powerful moments with the Lord, and it's like right after temptation comes. It's like, I, I, this is what it looked like for Jesus. He's baptized, and then he, he begins to be tempted. This is a word for us because this is the reality of walking with God. Jesus goes from the mountaintop to the valley. Jesus goes from the cool waters of the Jordan being baptized to the darkness of the wilderness. He goes from community to isolation. He goes from the spirit resting on him like a dove to the spirit leading him into the desert. He goes from the peaceful waters of baptism to the fire of temptation. And I just made a note that this sounds a lot like my time with the Lord. That I have a very powerful moment with God and then it's like immediately something happens. That Maybe this is the way it looks for you. You get a word from God on Sunday and you're like, okay, 
this, it's go time, baby, and then you get in your car in the parking lot, okay, and it's like, where did that, what happened, you know, or maybe Monday happens, or maybe something with your boss happens, you, God speaks to you in a time of devotion, and then maybe the enemy does as well, maybe you have a breakthrough in your life that you've been believing for, and then if you were to be honest, it seems like everything in your life is breaking apart as well, and so I just want to draw attention to the fact that it says immediately temptation came. And I want to say a temptation will most likely follow some of your most powerful moments with God. But God wants to be with you in the moments of temptation. I don't want us to miss this. In the moment of temptation, the Bible shows us that where light is present, darkness cannot exist. The Bible shows us that just as much temptation is just as much an opportunity to do the right thing as it is the what? The wrong thing. Temptation. It's just as much an opportunity to be faithful to God as it is to be unfaithful to God. This is just basic things. So before we go any further, I want to ask you a bold question. How does the enemy tempt you? Don't answer out loud, okay? How does the enemy tempt you? Is there a, a thing that is, it seems like it has become a pattern and you're like, God, I promise I won't go back to this thing, but it just seems like it always comes up. It seems like it always trips you up, always traps you up. Resisting today's temptation will build spiritual muscle for tomorrow's battle. When you can resist temptation today, it is building up inside of you a spiritual muscle. For tomorrow's battle, because the battle will come. I used to believe that in the moments of temptation, the reason I share all of that, is I used to believe in the moments of temptation that for some reason God was far from me. You have to realize temptation is not the sin. It's when you give in to the temptation that is the sin. And so we know that, the, that God is with us in those moments of temptation but we have to press into that. The father in the middle of temptation is saying, hey, you're my son, you're my daughter, you're my child. I love you. I'm pleased with you. I'm proud of you. The spirit is saying, hey, I will lead you out of this. James says that, that he will lead us out of this. There is a way out. I'll protect you. I'll lead you. The son, Jesus Christ, is saying this, hey, I died for you. I bled for you, I, I lived for you, I took on sin for you, I hung on a cross for you, and I want relationship with you. I care for you. And so in those moments of temptation, the reason I share all of that is so you will know that God is with you. We just have to say no to the temptation. But would y'all agree it's really hard? Y'all understand now why it was heavy in first service. Everybody's like, man, talking about sin, you know, talking about temptation. It's real. This is the life of a believer. This is the reality for all of us, and no one is exempt from temptation. So what do we do when we're tempted? I believe that Jesus lays out a beautiful blueprint of what to do when we're tempted. And just so you know, the text in Matthew 3 and 4 that we're going to read is a direct parallel to what happens in the beginning of Genesis. Adam and Eve, they had one job, which was what? Don't eat of the fruit. From this tree, all right? And I want you to see this. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, this was the lust of the flesh. This was temptation number one we're going to talk about. 
and that it was pleasant to the eyes. This is the lust of the eye. This is the second one. And a tree to be desired to make one wise. This is the pride of life. This is kind of the, the construct of the message today. She took the fruit and she ate of it. And she gave it to her husband and he ate as well. Verse 1 of Matthew, it picks up and it says, Then Jesus was led into the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And it goes on in verse 2, after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry and the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, then tell these stones to become bread. Now, I don't know about you, but when I'm hungry, I make some of my biggest mistakes, okay? Some of y'all need to, this is a word for you today, don't go to the grocery store when you are starving, okay? Like, you make mistakes, you'll look at it later in the week, you're like, why did I buy this, okay? This is a king-sized box of Cheez-Its, I'm never going to eat all these Cheez-Its, right? If you are the son of God, is what Satan says to Jesus, you need to know this, that the enemy's plan is to always distort who God is. The enemy's plan is to question the divinity, the authority, and the power of God. It says in verse 4, it is written, this is Jesus' response, it is written that man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Temptation number one, I want you to write this down. Temptation number one is the lust of the flesh. What is this? This is the pursuit of pleasure. Self-indulgence, this is a constant quest to do whatever I feel is right. This is ecstasy, elation, enjoyment, exhilaration. This is, this is y'all, this is someone who will seek pleasure no matter what the cost. And I just want to make note of this. Every decision we make in our life will cost us something. Every decision will cost us something. Every decision you make is either an investment or a withdrawal on your life. And so in the moments of temptation, we have a decision to make. This behavior, it's a very dangerous place to be when you just want to satisfy everything that your flesh is telling you to do. Second Timothy 3, it says that there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Some of you are like, man, I came to get encouraged today. This is the reality of what we live in. Turn on the news. We have to know there is a real battle, but what do we do when the battle comes? Jesus shows us what to do with temptation. Y'all, we will either find pleasure in loving our flesh, or we will find pleasure in loving our God. We will either find pleasure in what we feel is right, or what we know is right, because God said it was. And so this really sets everything up. I'm going to do what I feel is right. I'm going to develop my own truth. I'm going to live my own truth. That's a very dangerous way to live. 1 John 2, 15, it says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, then the Father's love is not in them. If you look up the Greek word for love here, when it talks about love the world, this is, it means to long for, to chase after. 
Before we go into temptation number two, I want to ask you, is there anything that you are longing for? If you were to be honest with yourself and God today, is there anything you're longing for or chasing after that is not bringing honor to God? I believe he wants us to identify that thing because when we crucify our flesh and we pick up our cross and we carry it, this is a, a recipe for God to move in our life. It says in verse 5 that the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. In verse 6, here we go again. This is number 3. If or Number 2, if you are the son of God, always wants to question who God is, then throw yourself down. And then, y'all, this gets crazy. The enemy starts to quote scripture to Jesus. Check this out. This is the enemy. He says, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift up, lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Verse seven, Jesus answers him. I like to envision Jesus like give him like a one, two slap, like a pop, pop. Okay. He says, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Temptation number two, write this down. This is the pride of life. And man, let me tell you, the pride of life is dangerous. We know this, that pride is the root of all what? Sin. It's the root of all sin. This is when the enemy will try to get you to use a God-given gift for your own personal benefit. This is when the enemy will try to get you to use a God-given ability to build your own kingdom instead of God's. I'm going to go further. This is when someone becomes so prideful they most likely are misusing a gift to build up themselves instead of building up the body of Christ. I just want to pause real quick. Did you know that all of you are gifted at something? All of you have a gift that God has given you, and he gave it to you so you could build up the body. Not this building, but the church, which is you. But what happens is the enemy will try to get us to use a good thing for bad. And this is what he's doing right here with Jesus. Pride makes you believe the world should revolve around you. He, he said, and this is the mentality. When, when you're struggling with pride, you approach every relationship like this. What's in this for me? What's in this for me? Is there, what am I going to get out of this? And I just want to notice in scripture here that the devil misquotes scripture. And if you want to know who the king of misquoting and taking scripture out of context is, it's the devil. So he tries to tell Jesus what the Bible means, and then Jesus responds with the word of God. Satan's going to always try to manipulate a situation to benefit himself. The devil is known for slandering and accusing and distorting the truth. And here's the thing that I've realized in the world we live in today. There are many people that truly believe that they are doing the right thing and that they are living for God because the enemy has somehow perverted the truth in their life. You could talk to a lot of people who are going the wrong way and they truly believe they're making a kingdom impact. The enemy wants to distort and mislead. Y'all, distorted truth is no truth at all. But also, half-truth is no truth at all. Your own truth is no truth at all. 
He's a deceiver of the truth. And I want to make note that if the devil is misquoting scripture, then we better be able to quote scripture. Not for fun. (laughs) I'm not talking about Bible quizzing, okay? If the enemy is misquoting scripture to you, then you better have some scripture that you can fight with. Jesus models every temptation that comes his way. He responds with what? It is written. And then he begins to talk about what was written. It's really hard to talk about what is written if we don't know what is written. The Bible, a lot of us think that the truth will set me free. That's partially true. The Bible says that they will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And I just want to challenge us today to know the truth. Because if you don't know the truth, then you are going to fall for any scheme that the devil throws your way. Get caught up in the pride of life and the lust of the flesh. And we go to temptation number three, if you'll write this down. This is the lust of the eyes. It says in verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. He says, all of this I will give to you. And if you bow down and worship me, you can't miss this. The devil is telling Jesus, I will give you the world if you worship me. Jesus says, away from me, Satan, for it is written, here we go again, worship the Lord your God. And serve him only. And then it says the devil left him and the angels came and attended to him. Y'all, our eyes will get us in trouble. Would y'all agree? <laughs> I don't know about y'all, my eyes will get me in trouble. I remember in class, I'd be cheating on a test back in uh, pre-Jesus days. My eyes got me in a lot of trouble. And then I realized you can't cheat on the ACT, Okay. Your eyes will get you in trouble. This is what the enemy wants you to do. He wants to show you the world. And he says, I'll give you the world if you bow down and worship me. A lot of people that I talk with, especially when I was doing college ministry, young adult ministry, they would never outright say that I'm worshiping the world or I'm worshiping the enemy. But I just got to make note, if you are bowing to anything but God, you are worshiping something else. If you are bowing and worshiping the world, that is not Jesus. I did this for a long time, living my own way in sin. What the devil is trying to do here with Jesus is he's trying to get Jesus to take a shortcut. Just just picture this. If Jesus would have bowed down in that moment and worshiped Satan, we would not have had the cross we would not have had the crucifixion. We would not have had the resurrection. We would not have sanctification here today. Why? Because he wouldn't have been a spotless lamb. Jesus resists temptation and he quotes the word of God to a devil that's misquoting the word of God. And what does it say? That the devil flees. It's a really practical, really simple message today. Jesus responds quickly. He responds directly and he responds confidently. This is what I know is true. Jesus knew who he was. Everybody look at me real quick. I do not want you to miss this today. Jesus knew who he was. 
Jesus knew his identity. Jesus knew that he was uh, the son of God. What would happen if every person, y'all look around, there's a lot of people here up top. What would happen if every person, they knew their identity in Christ? I'm a child of the king. God created me in his image. He loves me. He's proud of me. And he does have a plan for my life. He may not approve of what I'm currently doing, but he does approve of what he created me to do. The world better watch out if we can get some believers believing the truth about who they are. Jesus knew his identity. Y'all, when you know who you are, you don't believe the lies that everybody else tells you about who you are. When you know who you are in Christ, you don't have to search through social media to find your identity. You don't have to find friends to tell you who you are. You don't have to find a partner to tell you who you are because God already told you. Who is Jesus? He is our example in all things. He's our example in how to fight temptation. He did it and he aced it. Jesus knew his identity, but he also knew his weapons. What did Jesus say every time? It is written. Why are we memorizing scripture as a church? We're going to start with Psalm 23, but oh baby, we got a lot more to get inside of us. Because when the enemy comes in like a flood, I want to be confident that we have a church, a body of believers that knows how to stand up and fight. I want to be confident that you know that you have access to the things that God has given you to fight with. It's very difficult to say it is written when you don't know what was written. If you need a Bible, we got Bibles at the welcome area out there. Go get you a Bible. Get this word inside of you. Because how many of you want to know? Temptation is always going to come. As long as we are on this side of eternity, but every time temptation presents itself, it's an opportunity to do the right thing or the what? The wrong thing. It's an opportunity to be faithful just as it is as much to be unfaithful. And when we ace it and we can turn from it, it builds the spiritual muscle that we need for tomorrow's fight. But we have to get the word of God inside of us. So we, we have the armor of God. It's the helmet of our salvation, the, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the shield of faith, the feet uh, that are of peace fitted for the gospel. But don't miss this, the sword of the spirit, the sword. I don't know if you know this, but the Bible talks about it all the time. This is a sword. But I know a lot of people that still got the sword in the quiver and they go out to fight and they get defeated every single time. Because it's hard to fight the devil with scripture and he's misquoting it and and he's doing all this. It's hard to fight him with scripture when we don't have it inside of our hearts. That's why I'm so passionate about this. I I had a whole different message I was going to speak this weekend, but I was like, no, no, no. The fight is getting more real every single day. And we have to be able to resist the devil. We have to be able to fight. The last thing is this, Jesus knew his purpose. If you would go ahead and stand up across the room as we get ready to close. He knew his purpose. He he knew his identity. He knew his weapons. And what else? He knew his purpose. What was Jesus' purpose? That's what this series is all about. Why did Jesus come? He came to be the good shepherd to lead his sheep. He came to be the way, the truth, and the life. And, And we know this, that no one can come to the Father except through who? Jesus. He's the gate. A good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 
If, if the enemy's trying to get into the sheep pen, the enemy's got to go through Jesus first. And we already know that he's defeated him. We already know that Jesus has defeated hell in the grave. He came to lead the way to the Father. Jesus came to do the will of the Father. He came to give us eternal life, to receive worship, to bring great joy, to demonstrate humility, to preach the gospel, to bring judgment, but also to bring love, to lay his life down, to bind broken hearts, to give us the Holy Spirit, which is a great gift, by the way, to reign as king. He came not just to just come and be our example, but he is the only example that we can lean on. He's the only one that we can look to for every avenue of life to learn where we need to go, to learn how we raise our family, to learn how to have a marriage that honors God. And he teaches us how to have a relationship with the Father. He shows us the way to live. So this is what I want to tell you, man. We, we got some cards in the seats. If you would go ahead and grab, everybody grab that card in your seat. There's some pins in the seat backs. It has a place for you to write down what you are thankful for, what you're grateful for. But on the other side, there's a place to show what you, what you need prayer for. Up before you got here this morning, these crosses where these wood slats are, they were filled with these cards from first service. And this is what I want you to do. I just want to be obedient to God today. I want you to write some things down and then in an act of faith, take it to that cross and just lay it down. And this is what this represents. This is an, a representation of Jesus. I'm tired of trying to carry this thing by, by myself. I, I told you I would never pick this thing up again, but I picked it up again. I want to lay it down at the foot of the cross, but also tell us what you're thankful for. And maybe you're here and you need someone to reach out to you and to pray with you, to walk with you. Write your name and your number on it. And then we would love to call you. You don't have to write your name on it. That's just if, we, if you want us to reach out to you. This is an act of faith to walk towards the cross during these worship songs we're about to do. I want this to be an act of worship. I want every time we gather as the body of believers for us to move in action. Doesn't that sound like a, a great plan? That we don't stay stagnant in our faith, but we take steps towards the Father. Y'all, I was addicted to alcohol and drugs. I remember popping pills all through high school and college. I remember there was a season in my life where I dabbled in steroids. And, and I remember there, there was a long season in my life that I thought I could find my approval in other people. Addicted to pornography. I, the, the list of things that I have in my past, God completely cleaned me. And some of you, you walked in here today and you think that for some reason you are exempt. And I just want to encourage you that that is not the truth. God wants a relationship with you today. And so out of an act of obedience, would you write some things down? Don't rush this. If you need to sit or stand or whatever, and then take it to the cross during worship. And then we're going to pray over those things this week as a staff. And I want to go ahead and pray over you real quick. If you would, just go ahead and close your eyes and bow your heads.